Hello friends and welcome back. Thanks for pressing play. This week, yeah, it's getting to the point now where I guess doesn't really need an introduction. <laughs> Adam Starr. Adam Starr, I know this man means a lot to seven myself. Uh, he's our first guest to appear three times on the podcast and if we're lucky we'll get a fourth episode maybe next year but yeah, this this podcast is, is, was really special for me and Seb um, and we really hope it hits home with listeners in this episode I think Adam guides us towards a perspective that can open us all up um, and what I mean when I say this like I think your mind may disagree with some of the ideas he's putting forward and that's absolutely fine but I'm confident that what he's saying will facilitate an internal dialogue which has the potential to give you more peace in your life and isn't that it like isn't that what we all want or I think we could all do it a bit more peace in our life and um, we cover having difficult conversations the heavily weighted concept of advice as well as the difficulty in working in a job which doesn't satisfy you. Adam's response here to this to this question is perhaps one of the most crucial few minutes we've had in our 75 episodes to date. Hot take, I know. Very hot take, I know. But um, I, I'm confident this podcast will stay with you much longer than the average one. Thanks for listening. And uh, you have no idea what this gives, seven myself. Thanks again. Hello friends, welcome back to the Earthly Delights podcast. Today we have Kadam Adam Star number three. Thank you for coming on, Adam. You're very welcome. Thanks a lot, Jim. It's great to be back with you and Seb. Oh no, we're very grateful for all the knowledge and wisdom we've dropped our way. Um, and basically, over the last few months, me and Seb have been accumulating, oh yeah, that's something we really want to ask Adam, and that's something we want to ask Adam. So this this podcast will hopefully tackle most of, most of the issues that we were we were consumed by i would say over the last few weeks and months before that adam i think i think the last podcast we recorded i forgot what's the crack so i I don't i don't want to do that again so adam what's the crack how are you keeping yeah very well thanks yeah it's um you know like for everyone it's an unusual times and here in ireland obviously as you know yourself jim having been here recently it's um you know we're still under you know, a reasonable amount of restrictions and just kind of getting used to that. But things yeah. are good, yeah. I mean, we have this, you know, as we were talking about before, having this new centre opening up in Dublin, which is great, at a time when I think people really need it. Yeah. They need, like, a little bit of something maybe they can connect with with a bit of deeper wisdom or deeper peace. Mm-hmm. And I think that centre is going to be helpful in that way. So, yeah, it's been a nice summer, a busy summer, but, you know, it's all in the practice, Jim. That's it. It's all about the practice, Adam. <laughs> It's all about yeah. the practice. And you know, um, I'm sure you would speak of how, how it's been, on one hand, it's kind of been great that you've had expanded online and maybe reached people that you couldn't have reached beforehand. But I was only thinking several times this week about the the atmosphere or the I guess like the energy that you can feel in a room when you're together and you're connecting and you're talking about a certain certain teaching or you've just meditated together it, it, there's no comparison really isn't there no no i mean i think there's like a a place you can go to in your heart when you're online and feel a connection with others because uh, we always are 
mm. in reality connected and not separate in the way we feel. Um, so there's a place you can go to in your heart where you feel that. Nice. But you're absolutely right, Jim. I think in reality, for most of us, me included, it's like there's nothing better than being in a room full of people meditating together in that kind of energy mm. and that kind of enthusiasm you know the the back and forward with q and a uh, it's just a joy yeah. but it certainly hasn't i wouldn't say you know hugely diminished the experience this last 18 90 months online it's kind of as you say connecting with new people connecting through a new medium which yeah. you know is very new to me <laughs> until 18 months ago and um but yeah there's nothing better than when you kind of get everybody together and you're all meditating and there's that kind of dialogue and that back and forth and it's wonderful you know so yeah yeah, yeah. We, we should also mention that adam is now speaking from a, a beautiful new microphone which was rec- <laughs> which was recommended to him by our by our co-host seb <laughs> he's very kind yes he is <laughs> I think it's just because the sound of my previous uh, headphones was so bad <laughs> that I had to do something to help your listeners not, not, not be butchered by my headphone for the whole no, hour no. or whatever. Adam, the calmness that people receive from your voice is something unprecedented, I would say. It's very kind. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, sincerely. Listen, the the first... the No, I'll tell you what, the 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 thought or the issue that I was struggling with that made me want to reach out to you because I, I, I sometimes I keep keep notes or whatever was the the idea that I understand in Buddhism we we have to respect one another um, and that we respect ourselves and respect one another and really over the last year or so I really have been trying that that I want to respect myself, I want to respect others, I want to show others compassion, I want to show myself compassion. And it really has helped me significantly in terms of just daily peace. But there's been, like, I guess several um, several events or several, like, world um, challenges, if you will, that have brought up this, this kind of, not a contradiction, but a, very, a difficulty where... I'm, I, I want to respect somebody else's opinion but to to what extent can I respect this person's opinion if this person's opinion is somewhat harmful uh, or damaging to me or other people because again that would go against one of my other strong priorities of you know quasi passive pacifism you know I don't want to put harm onto somebody else um, and I would I would love for you to speak on that Adam because you know Obviously, we've had uh, heated debates amongst certain communities with, with, with COVID and with lockdown and with vaccines. And um, obviously, I just moved up to Belfast. So there's there's strong tension still up here in certain communities between, you know, certain uh, affiliations and certain beliefs. And again, I would just love to hear your input on where, where can we find that peace where we, we still want to respect and love everybody else. But. But but if this this if if this opinion that they are propagating is somewhat harmful to me or to other people, how, how do you navigate that? Yeah, I mean, I think you know this is the challenge of our times, isn't it? Because our society is so divided on opinion, and you know whether you're talking about you know the toxic political discourse in some countries like the U.S. at the moment or. Um, divisions um, 
yeah, along many different lines. The challenge, I guess, of our day is how do we get to a place where there's some ability to have a dialogue without it leading to some kind of conflict and grasping at views and then disrespecting the other person completely. But I would say, Jim, it starts with understanding there's a difference between an opinion and a person. So we can disagree with opinions, uh, but really respect the person. In fact, I don't know if you can evolve as a society if you don't disagree in opinions, if everybody's just this kind of, you know... um, (laughs) one opinion and we all fit in on it that's never going to happen anyways (laughs) I think we need to start there to understand that difference and I don't mean understand it intellectually I mean like really try our best to understand it experientially which means we need to be able to see something in someone and others all others that enables it just a natural respect not like that I have to fake it or kind of whip myself up into respecting somebody but really just I feel it in my heart a natural respect for people that doesn't necessarily mean I always agree with what they say and in fact disagreement can be really healthy Um, and I think if we come from the right place it can also be really helpful and maybe broaden our view sometimes we feel our opinion is the right opinion and it may well be but it often is quite limited in the what how we see the world we see it through such a limited lens sometimes and therefore if somebody doesn't fit in with our opinion we think they must be inherently wrong but I would say to your question Jim maybe it starts with um, you know the understanding that I certainly um, in my heart feel to be true is that at the heart of everyone there is an innate peace and there is an innate goodness that doesn't mean that it's an experience that most people have it's just natural to who we are to connect to that deeper peace and that deeper goodness within our own hearts um, is, starts, is, is the beginning of that process of just naturally respecting others because what I feel to be true in myself, I naturally see to be true in others. If I don't feel it to be true in myself, it's impossible for me to feel it to be true in others. So often the reason why people distrust others is because deep down in our hearts we distrust ourselves we're not at peace with ourselves we're not at peace with who we are and the potential for who we can become and as you know from you know the way buddha explained we all have this innate peace and this innate goodness within our hearts and a potential within everyone including ourselves for you know limitless love compassion wisdom that is just essentially our true nature and our true potential now you know, we could talk about that all day long, but really the only time it will really begin to change us and our families and our societies is when people start to recognize that through their own experience, because then they will start to see it in everyone else. And then that's the basis for dialogue. You know, yes, there may be this innate peace and goodness. We've discussed this before in previous podcasts, but at the end of the day, that isn't what we see reflected in people's behaviors and their um, way of relating to things and us. So, but if we have that experience in our heart and we see it in them, then we'll start to be able to have a conversation on the basis this potential, this person has the potential for more wisdom, this person has the potential for more compassion, this person has the potential for more love. They may not be displaying it now, but I I remain truthful to that truth or remain uh, true to that truth in my own heart and therefore I can have that conversation with them. But then the other aspect of it is to be able to, from that perspective of relating to 
the truth of human nature and potential from your own experience, then the ability to just step fully into another person's um, perspective. And that doesn't mean we look at them from this perspective, of my perspective, no, just fully embody it mentally. You know, there's a meditation within that was taught over 1,200 years ago by a great Indian Buddhist master called Shantideva, um, where we, we literally just feel that this sense of self dissolves completely and we completely embody the other person's view, the other person's experience, and just look through their eyes at the world that they live in, the world they inhabit, and if you sit there for long enough, you will actually start to see the world a little bit the way they see the world. You're not seeing it from their distorted mind. You're just seeing it from their mind. And you're, you're occupying that space to see that actually they're just like me. They just want to be happy and free from sufferings, what everybody wants. Some people are going about it in ways that really don't lead to happiness or freedom from suffering. That doesn't mean that they don't want the same thing that I want. And so that's the starting point of then thinking, well, you know, are we that different, really? You know, I'm caught up in all these unhealthy habits of mind that time myself. Am I really that different to them? Maybe they're just suffering a lot more because they're stuck in them a lot more. And maybe I can help them in some way in a conversation, an open conversation based on respect, trusting that they have that goodness within their heart and then being able to see the world from their perspective. So then I can have a conversation and I'm in the conversation. I never back out of it because I know they have the potential to be more than this. And then it's just being able to accept when somebody's view is different to yours. <laughs> Most of our conflict is we can't accept when people have a different view to us. Why? <laughs> you know, why is our view so supreme? You know. So I think that, Jim, I would say is a starting point, at least for a dialogue, connecting with that goodness within your own heart, seeing it in others, stepping into their perspective for a little while, like quietly maybe sitting in a chair or on the sofa and just reflecting on what, how they see the world. And you'll actually start to see they're not as different from me as I thought they were, but they just have a different way of going about the same thing I'm trying to do, which is find happiness and freedom. And maybe the way they're going about it isn't as healthy as I, you know, I can see maybe it's not as healthy as it could be. But at least that, that gives me then the next time I sit down with them an opportunity to now have a conversation. You know, where are you at? And really listen to people instead of trying to push our view all the time. Because it takes so, as you know yourself, Jim, it takes time to hear another person properly and what they're saying. It takes patience. And maybe you'll learn something from them too. You know? as, or maybe not. I was wondering, Adam, you said, <laughs> you, are, you asked why do we get think that our ideas are so supreme and why why can we not like fathom the fact that someone might disagree with us and i wondered if it's because maybe this is generally speaking but if because if it's because we're so wedded to our ideas that we think of our ideas as inherently parts of who we are so you hear people even like in the vernacular that we use like people say i am a liberal or i am a vegan or i am right wing or i am buddhist for example and these are just beliefs or or ideas that we find it really hard to divorce ourselves from and kind of see them as like separate entities and so then when you have someone who then critiques said idea or said belief it's almost like we take it as if they're saying well you're a bad person because we've kind of attached ourselves onto those idea ideas that we now believe that oh, if you're going to critique that what you're actually doing is you're kind of critiquing me rather than critiquing the idea and we kind of make it personal when it doesn't need to be yeah i think you're absolutely right seb i think when we um, 
boil it all down, really it's, it's an over-identification with these views and in a sense we're identifying the view as the person, I, this is who I am. You know, but it's not really, it's just a familiar view that you've been familiar with up until now. It doesn't even define you, the view, it's just a familiar view. Um, so we're not our thoughts, we're not our views, we're not our feelings, we're not our emotions. We have them, but we're not them. But what happens is because we're so familiar with a certain way of thinking, believing and seeing the world, over time we start to identify with that as that's me, as you say, I'm a vegan, I'm a Buddhist, whatever. And then we're deeply offended and hurt when somebody challenges that because they're not challenging our view. They're challenging our very ex- existential being. You know, they're challenging who we are. And that's just too much for us to deal with. Um, and often, um, because of this very strong sense of this separate self that feels they have all these views and are this person, that's quite a painful place to be in when somebody challenges you. But if we realize that this is just a view, it is simply a view. It doesn't define who I am. It doesn't reflect who I am. It's just how I see things at the moment. Then actually we're really open to seeing other people's view and maybe it'll help my view and change my view or at least maybe it'll reinforce that my view was actually correct. Either way, I'm, I'm cool with that either way. But at least I'm open to hearing different views because I'm not identified with the view being that if they challenge this view at a deep level I'm done <laughs> I don't know who I'd be if, if I didn't have this view of myself right, you know, there is yeah. no real fixed self here you know in, in reality there's no fixed self you'll never find it like if you look for Adam the Buddhist here you won't find him where would he be <laughs> where would this Adam the Buddhist be you know is he here in my body can I pull my chest open and find Adam the Buddhist yeah. It's just a view, it's just a way of seeing the world at this point and that view, it, for me personally, is very helpful but I wouldn't grasp it as inherent and, uh, in, in this sense that I can't be anything other than seeing the world from that perspective. Otherwise, you know, you can never really have a conversation with somebody beyond your own view. Adam, do you think it would be fair to say that a huge issue that we do have is that we don't know ourselves, that that we do make this uh, miscalculation with our ideas or um, with our opinions that this is us or like these are my clothes or this is my job or this is where I grew up, and yeah, that is part of you, but like you said, is, is it you deep? Like where is it? Um, and that if I. I couldn't help but think, right, if we were to reach that point where we've talked about in previous podcasts and you just touched upon it there, that we all have this place of love, place of peace of love within us. If we can all touch that on a frequent basis, surely we would be so less judgmental and so less afraid of someone attacking our views and vice versa because we've touched that place. We know like deep down we are this kind of ungraspable, immeasurable feeling, awareness. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's the key, Jim, is, is that we are creating uh, suffering for ourselves and problems and difficulties and conflicts with others on the basis of a misapprehension of who we are, this ego-limited self that we all get so deeply identified with. And as Seb was saying, we bring our views, our opinions, as if that formulates who we are, but really that's just an idea of who we are that we're grasping at, deeply believing to be our true self. But if we were to just simply, even in a simple way, just every morning, just allow ourselves 
to sit in meditation, to simply breathe and just disengage from all those thoughts, views, opinions, beliefs, even in just this simple way, we would start to um, experience the dissolution of those strongly held opinions that we normally hold in the middle of a conflict or an argument. And then we'll start to reconnect with that um, truth of who we are that natural peace, that natural goodness, is just naturally present when you just let go of all these agitated, disturbed, grasping states of mind. And then, as you say, Jim, in that experience, you are directly experiencing the deeper truth of who you really are. And then when you arise from meditation after that and start to move around the world, that, that all your thoughts, feelings, and beliefs will start to manifest from there more. You'll start to notice that that's the way you're relating to others, it's how you're, you're seeing others from that peaceful mind and good heart more and more. And, you know, there are meditations to cultivate that potential so it becomes more stable, more steady, more consistent, even in the face of adversity. But if we were to do that every day, even in just that simple way, this normal, strong sense of this is me and I'm fixed and this is my opinions and my views and I can't deal with anybody who has different views, that sense of self would just begin to um, dissolve a little at least to give us enough space to have a bit more flexibility and freedom when we're having conversations with others. A lot of the reason why we, we struggle in conversations with others is we immediately grasp tightly at our point of view, identify, as Seb was saying, with that view as if it's me, and that's it, we're done. In the conversation, there's no conversation now. It's not a dialogue anymore, it's just a monologue. This is my view, I don't really care what you think. And that's often what we say, you know, when we get really angry, I don't care what you think, this is what I think. So if we were to do that every day and just take a little bit of time to like really deeply connect with a peaceful heart and a peaceful mind, we'd start to discover the true nature of our being, the true nature of ourself to be peace and there's a natural goodness there. And then on the basis of that, we could start to cultivate that potential through conscious training and meditation and start to feel that sense of compassion and wisdom more alive in your day and your life and the sense of flexibility that's able to work with people with different opinions and different views without kind of getting upset by their view. It just sounds crazy, actually, if you really think about it. Why we get upset? Because somebody holds a view. It's just a view. To, to go back to the original question, just so we could, like, put a put a note in it or put a tag in it, I guess I'm understanding correctly that the issue is less about the fact that somebody has different views than you. And more about that your affiliation with your idea and their affiliation with their idea is getting in the way of us really conversing, really connecting uh, and really making progress on whatever issue apparently that we're debating about. Could I also Definitely. add as well, sorry, sorry just to go in, just, and I also think we play this game of one-upsmanship. Like I think we try to win. It becomes like a game. So let's say... Um, Jim's Buddhist and I'm Christian and we might have two different points of view on a certain on a certain topic it's like can I convert Jim rather than, and it's like it becomes like this challenge and vice versa can Jim convert me to the the Buddhist way of seeing such a topic and then so it's like this not only are we inherently kind of defensive because it's our own views and this that and the other and we see them as ourselves as a part of our identity but now we're also trying to play this like game of top trumps where it's like 
I need to win this and then it's like I've done one I've got one for my team type thing I've managed to convert Jim he's no longer a vegan he's going to go out and he's going to eat steak first thing tomorrow morning do you know what I mean it's like I, we get into this weird game and then that I think that's a part of it as well or at least that's what I, I don't know I've kind of experienced or sometimes even found myself like kind of partaking and then I have to kind of stop myself yeah and I mean it's, it's like knowing that that is coming from this deep-seated identification with this ego-limited version of self that feels very vulnerable and can only feel secure if everyone in the world agrees with me because I feel so separate from everyone and I feel so vulnerable to everyone else and everything else and so we only feel pacified by everyone agreeing with us but it's only because we're holding on to this very tight uh, limited version of ourself that isn't really who we are if we were to actually see through that and see actually that's just a misapprehension within the mind we'd actually connect to this much more deeper sense of who we truly are and a self that's free of limitations and that isn't in any way fixed or in any way um, constrained by these rather limiting views that we hold so we're doing that the one-upmanship is just so we can feel safe again because we can't feel safe until everyone agrees with us but we only feel that way because we feel so separate from everyone else but if you realize that actually we never were actually really separate we're just holding this ego limited idea and it's hard for people because it's not it's not necessarily we're just responding out of that we're not consciously aware of that you know, during the day, we're just, like you're saying, um, Seb, it's just an impulse to get that one-upmanship so that I feel okay again, as opposed to just get in touch with feeling okay anyway. Get in touch with feeling okay within yourself. Learn how to feel okay within yourself, regardless of other people's views, opinions of you, or the world. And as we start to feel that way, then we feel this openness within us to listen to everyone, not to agree with everyone, just to listen to everyone. And as Jim was saying to his point, it is because we are too caught up in grasping at our view and feeling so identified with it. That's where the conflict's coming. It's not coming from the other person's view. It's because we're holding so tightly to our view and we can't possibly live in a world where other people are going to disagree with us because we'll always feel uncomfortable. But that's all coming from that misapprehension of self that we can learn to in meditation, you literally learn to observe that self, see that actually it's just a misapprehension, it's just an ego-limited idea. Experience its dissolution, but you don't experience the dissolution of self, you just experience the dissolution of this mistaken apprehension of self, and then you start to feel this deeper connection to your truth, a natural peace, a natural goodness, an innate flexibility, there's no fixed self, there's no fixed world, and therefore you're much more open and fluid to what you can discuss with people and learn from people. And, you know, you realize that there's no fixed me here, I'm just evolving all the time in dependence upon who I'm interacting with and what I'm interacting with, so actually this could be a really interesting conversation with somebody who has a really different view to me. You know, I might learn something. I'm not, I'm not vulnerable then. I'm open to learning, you know. Yeah, no. So I think, um, well, that point was was definitely answered for sure, um, which leads me to my own um, existential crisis, which I have on and off for what feels like years now. Um, but Jim said, oh, is there, do you have anything to ask Adam um, for the pod? And I kind of <laughs> sent him like the, the big, I feel like what is the big life question? So no pressure here, Adam. Um, but 
No, I just want to. I just like to find out as many um, answers to this question as possible to see if I can then derive from all of those the, my own answer. But it's basically the it's the question of meaning, and um, because I've just been wondering, you know, a lot of us do jobs that we it's the thing we spend our most time doing. Most of us at least eight hours a day, uh, Monday to Friday, if not probably more. Um, we spend more time doing that than anything else that we enjoy or spending time with family or friends or anything else. Um, and yet, I think there's a stat that's like 71% of us are either indifferent or hate our jobs. Um, so when, and I was reading a book, um, Birdsong by Sebastian Falcon, it's a novel, but um, it was about World War One, And there's kind of some very graphic scenes and stuff, but it kind of brought back how elite, how when they were in the war and they were fighting, their meaning for life was survival. They just had to survive the next day and the next attack and so on. And maybe their greater meaning was to defeat the enemy or fight for justice or something along those lines. But I feel like in this day and age, especially in the Western world, where survival is kind of, you know, I know we're in a pandemic still, but kind of guaranteed unless you're a bit unlucky, um, at least until, you know, maybe 50, 60 years old. How do we replace that biological sense of meaning, which would normally be survival and is survival for every other animal? When we have, we know that we're going to survive, we'll know we'll wake up tomorrow morning, there's no need to go out and hunt and forage for food, we can just go to our local supermarket. And yet, the majority of us are probably going to clock into a job that, at, you know, that we're probably indifferent to, we don't care one way or the other, but we're going to spend eight hours of our day doing that today. How, when they're your circumstances, which I feel like are the circumstances for the majority of people nowadays, how do you find meaning in your life? Um, yeah, where does that come from? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this this is the kind of this is the challenge of our times, isn't it? It's kind mm. of um, yeah. I think like the fastest growing tradition in the world at the moment isn't Buddhism or Christianity. It's nihilism. You know, we just sense that people get this sense of what is the point of all of this. I'm running around. I'm like I'm achieving. Like you know, I've met many people over the years, incredibly successful, you know, millionaires who are just like achieving so much and yet still feel so empty inside. And they have everything. You know, they're healthy, family, you know, um, amazing homes. And um, yeah. But what is it deep down, like whenever I have those conversations with those people, I always get this sense of there's just this big, big hole in their heart that they're just not able to fill. And I think the challenge, Seb, is that we're focused in the wrong area. We will never, ever find meaning in our work alone in reality. Mm. There's no meaning to be found in anything outside of yourself in reality. And that's mm. not to say that the things that you do and the things that you engage in and the work that you do can't feel meaningful for you. It def definitely can. But you'll never find any meaning outside of your own self. So what I mean by that is um, if we really, like, if we sat, which I'd encourage everyone to do and everyone on the podcast to do, is just have a quiet moment to yourself. You don't even have to meditate. Just close your eyes, relax, and ask yourself in your heart, what is it I want more than anything in the world? And if you, if you really keep asking that question like in a relaxed, gentle way and go through all the things, well, I want more money, I want a bigger car. <laughs> I don't know if people still say that, but anyway, <laughs> I'm sure they do. But uh, 
if you keep asking yourself those questions, then ask yourself, but why do I want it? Why do I want more money? Because I want to be secure. Why do you want to be secure? I just want to be free from suffering. I don't want to have to suffer. Um, I want a, a, a better job. I want more interesting work. I want a bigger career. Why do you want that? Uh, because it'll be more interesting. It'll, I can express my talents. Yeah, but why do you want that? Because I want to be happy. I just want to be happy. I don't want to be like, you know, uh, excitable happy. I just want to feel a deep sense of happiness, emotional mm. well-being, contentment. Because ultimately you can boil it all down to that and that's what buddha said is we have two basic deep deep wishes within our heart which is just to be happy all the time and to be free from suffering and problems permanently that is like deep within our uh, hearts what we truly wish for so if you bring it back to that then meaningful or meaningless is not something defined by anybody a book or a doctrine meaningful or meaningless is what you feel in your heart nobody can tell you whether your life is meaningful or meaningless only you know in your heart and you will only know in your heart whether your life is meaningful for you or meaningless to you if at some level you feel like you're accomplishing or have accomplished your deepest wish which is just to be truly happy consistently and to be free from suffering permanently. Now, whether we believe it's possible or not at the beginning is not the point. The point is that you will never in your heart feel that your life is meaningful for you unless you feel that deepening sense of freedom and that deepening sense of happiness. It's a bit like, say, for example, an analogy of a, like a vegetable patch. <laughs> you know, like if you decide to um, grow some vegetables in your back garden, you have a back garden set if you decide <laughs> i think you're in a park. I, if you decide to grow some vegetables in your back garden because you kind of like want to feed yourself and your partner some like really nice organic veg and you know kind of live a more sustainable life on the back of that organic veg and if you like kind of i don't have a natural ability for gardening but you decide this is what i'm going to do and you then go study all the books, you learn all the different techniques that you need to grow vegetables, and you put a lot of time and energy in, and you master that skill of growing vegetables. And you plant the seeds, and then, like, whatever it takes... I'm not a gardener, so I don't know. But whatever it takes some months later, you go out to that garden, and you suddenly start to see, like, sunflowers appearing in the garden. You're like, what? What was the point mm. of all that work? And you realize, I never actually planted the seeds for vegetables. I accidentally went to the shop and planted the seeds for sunflower seeds or sunflowers. And all your friends will say to you, Seb, but you're a master gardener. You've put so much effort into that. You've got such an amazing, meaningful skill now. And you'd be like, but for me, it's utterly meaningless because I wanted vegetables and I got sunflowers. Do you see where I'm going with this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're putting so much energy and effort trying to make our jobs meaningful, make our work meaningful. But unless that work or that job gives you a deepening sense of peace, happiness and freedom, which it never really can from its own side, you'll always feel like there's a meaningless aspect to life. Now, here's the difference. If we learn where that deeper peace, happiness and freedom come from, which essentially we can learn, it comes from learning how to let go of those limiting beliefs we were talking about earlier on. Let go of the uh, 
disturbing states of mind and emotions they generate, which you can train through med- practices like meditation, learn how to let that go, like deep in your heart, a deep purifying of the heart. And at the same time, learn how to cultivate those good qualities of the heart, such as love, compassion, wisdom, which naturally give rise to a deeper peace, happiness, and freedom. If you could learn to do that, which we all can, then you'll start to feel that peace, happiness, and freedom grow every day. And for you, no matter what you're doing, your life for you will feel meaningful because you're actually accomplishing your real wish, which is a deepening peace, happiness, and freedom within yourself. And also, you'll find this deeper, more broader meaning of helping others do the same because you have love, compassion for people and the wisdom that understands how to help people find that love or so that peace and happiness within themselves. So you move from this beginning of the journey which is you know finding that peace and happiness freedom and meaning within your own heart to this bigger more expansive meaning that comes from living a life of compassion and wisdom living and acting with that which then you start to see others find some peace and happiness within their lives and there you have this broader understanding of meaning so it feels meaningful for you because you're living from that place in your heart that gives meaning to you and then instead of trying to find meaning from your job you bring that love, compassion, and wisdom to your job, and you find meaning through how you live and act within your job. But again, I'm not talking about some kind of intellectual process where you read a book, you run it through your head. I'm talking about a deep and underlying transformation in your heart, because then we're living from this sense of you bring that love and compassion and peace and joy to your life instead of wanting it from your life and never finding it, and therefore feeling life is ultimately meaningless and then feeling this kind of nihilism about everything. Whereas if we really understand that there is a journey you can go on in your heart, and all the great spiritual traditions simply point in that direction, and Buddhism certainly points for me in that direction of living with compassion and wisdom in everyday life, and then you feel this growing sense of meaning and purpose to your day, it's to find that deepening peace, happiness, and freedom within myself, which I'm now understanding is more and more possible, and help others do the same, which just makes it feel even more meaningful. Because we can't really find deep meaning in our hearts if it's just about us all the time. Even mm. if it's just about our peace, happiness and freedom. As you guys know, it's why you're doing this podcast. It's not just about you and Jim. If you wanted to, you and Jim could just sit here having a good conversation together. And I'm sure you would come up with great ideas. But you're doing this out of some deeper sense within you that this real meaning is found when you're sharing these ideas with others. And so that's really it, uh, Seb. Life, life, your job, your work, your relationship will never, ever give you a sense of meaning unless you're living from that place in your heart that gives you that growing sense of peace, happiness, and freedom. And that comes naturally through living with more love, compassion, and wisdom. And then mm. everything feels meaningful. <laughs> Whatever you're doing feels mm. meaningful. You're at work living with love, compassion, and wisdom, and you're a toilet cleaner. Great. Great, but at least you're doing that from that place and you feel a sense of peace. You know this anyway. There's so many stories of this, isn't there? Like, you know, people who, who do jobs um, that seem like, you know, um, not very aspirational, but they have so much peace. They have so much purpose. They have so much joy to what they do because they're coming from that place that thinks, I'm going to use my life to find that peace, happiness, and freedom with myself, and I'm going to make the world a better place before I leave here. That's a meaningful life. Mm. How, how do you how do you find the courage to um maybe take the jump or when so for example let's say you know let's say you've kind of asked those 
um, existential questions that you were talking about. What what is it that you really want? And not just say I want more money and I want a big car. Why do you want him? You get to the real origin, and then once you've kind of answered those questions and you now have those new answers, sometimes just having the answer is like okay, that's great, and I know how to, I know how to get to, or I know where point A is, which is the answer, but I'm not sure I have. Uh, the courage to make that journey towards point A and maybe just stay in with the status quo. You know, oh, things aren't too bad. It could be worse, and you know, you kind of like talk yourself out of the de- out of the the decision. You kind of, for example, I put my I always like to put myself as the example just because I, I know myself better than I I know anyone else. But you know, I've talking to spoken to Jim and anyone who's ever known me for any period of time. Like my true passion is food. Always has been. Always will be. Um, I think because it, it allows me to express some level of creativity, I just get excited by it. It's always what I'm going to find passionate, and I would love to make that some way my job. But then, or to own a certain restaurant, or a little bistro, or something along those lines, where I could be my own boss and work with food on a daily basis. But then I can. So when I'm in moments of real inspiration, I feel like it's it's a fail-safe plan. It's obviously going to happen and it'll be a great restaurant and I'll enjoy it and there won't be any problems and yada, yada, yada. But there may be more, let's say, lucid moments or whatever. I then think about it, I'm like, oh, shit, but to do that, I have to, like, I'd have to quit my job, which is a steady income every single month and I'd have to take that gamble of, you know, being an entrepreneur and maybe the banks won't give me the loan and I haven't got, my parents aren't rich enough to say, hey, here you go, here's all the money, go and, go and take that jump for you. And obviously that's my own particular the case but for someone else it might be they've discovered that their relationship isn't working and as much as they love the other person they actually kind of need to leave that relationship where it is and and take a step forward and be be single for a period of time to concentrate on themselves but it's easier to stay in that relationship and not upset anyone you know there's obviously loads of different examples that I could give but how do you find that courage and, and and kind of grasp onto it and allow that courage to then make let you take that decision well, I suppose it kind of comes back to that that thing I was saying earlier on. If the starting point of the decision process is like, you know, you know, which is a great idea, you know, set up your own restaurant or, you know, or whatever. Like if somebody feels like they want to move on from a relationship and maybe now is the time and it's not benefiting me or you. If the starting point for the decision is some external change, that external change will have a little meaning to you within a very short period of time. Because when we move to this dream job of maybe running a restaurant, but in our hearts we still feel stressed out, overwhelmed, and a bit self-absorbed, when we get into that job and the pressure and the stress starts to increase, we'll start to feel that meaningless feeling again. Which Mm. is, of course, what happens in most people's lives. They make major changes in their life and they think, this change is definitely the thing that I really need to do now and I need to move on with my dreams and soon their dreams are shattered. So I, I would say, like, it's a little bit like spending some more time with yourself, which, of course, for us nowadays is actually really quite difficult for many people because we're so busy, it's hard to sit with yourself for long. But learn techniques like settling the mind, connecting to a little bit more peace and clarity in the mind, and then doing those questions, you know, what is it really I want here from this restaurant? Well, I just want to be happy. Does cooking food ultimately make you happy? You say, yeah, it does, but does it make you happy all the time? Because it can be an incredibly frustrating process Mm. unless you're a much better (laughs) chef than me. Um, So what I'm saying is 
if if the question starts with how do I need to change in here first to find the peace, happiness and freedom I long for, if that's where this journey starts in your own heart and you start to make those changes just gently like day by day, week by week, year by year, then you'll find that your life starts to flow more out of that. And those kind of deeper drives within you to, for example, want to be a chef or that will just become a natural manifestation of this growing love, compassion and wisdom. So I'm feeling more love for people. I enjoy being around people. I want to make people happy more. Well, perfect, because now it's coming from this love for people. And um, it's that mind that has a love for people that will give you the energy to cook for people day in, day out, even when you're exhausted and you can't be bothered. You'll have the energy within your heart to be there for others. And I'm just saying this is a kind of general you know, manifestation of that aspect of yourself that's now beginning to evolve within your heart. There are many more, more altruistic activities we can do too. But let's say if we're just talking about a simple day-to-day life, it's where you're living from in your heart that will make the sense of meaning to what you do, not what you're doing. Because everything you were talking about there, Seth, which is, of course, what everybody reflects on, is immediately about the external change. But making external changes in your life, as we all know by now, well, certainly when you get to my age, you know, they have no impact whatsoever unless something changes in your own heart. And when it changes in your own heart and your own mind, then these external changes can have lots of meaning and lots of benefit. And so it's that bit that we want to just reflect on a bit for everyone, because I'm guessing a lot of people, from what I'm hearing, are, are, are making reflections at this moment in time on their careers because we've been in these lockdowns and people are questioning what do I really want to do going forward well before you think of what you want to do going forward just contemplate a little bit how do I want to be going forward because that will give you the sense of meaning and purpose and energy to do the things you do no matter what's going on in your day in your life Adam this is this is beautiful I don't know if I've told this story before um but I think it, it suits perfectly. I'm sure you guys have heard it. Basically, this guy's walking down the road and he sees, it's late at night, and he sees this guy kind of on, it, on his knees, just kind of crawling, looking, appears to be looking for something. So the man walks over to him and he says, hey, is everything okay? And he goes, yeah, I can't find my keys. I can't find my keys. Um, and so the guy, he goes, okay, he gets on his knees and he starts helping him find the keys as well. And he's like, he's looking under the car and he's looking in elsewhere and he still can't find the key. And then the guy turns to him and he goes, okay, so when was the last time you saw the key, the key to your house? And he says, um, the last time I saw the key to my house, it was in my house. It was in my house. Okay. And then, <laughs> and then he says, but why are you looking out here? And he goes, oh, the light's on out here. And this whole, this, it's, it seems like a perfect analogy for, you can look out there because it's easier to look out there, but, it, but it, it's not out there. <laughs> it, the light might be outside, but it's not inside. And uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah, that's so perfect. And I think that's it, Jim. It, that is what we're doing. We're looking because at some way, at some level, we feel we'll find it out there, yet nobody ever has. Mm. 
nobody has ever found meaning, purpose, peace and joy in their hearts and in their lives by putting all of their focus externally. Yet, I, I understand and I deeply empathize with where we're all at at the moment. It's hard for people to turn in because we live in a culture that has, you know, um, amplified distraction and busyness. And so we, we, it's very hard to press pause. Like I often talk about this with friends at the moment. It's like, does anyone ever really pause anymore? We're just on full steam all the time and pressing pause and just taking a few moments to yourself to relax and to connect with some deeper wisdom within your heart is the beginning of that journey to finding that meaning that you, you, you want, Seb, or, or anybody wants. And so I think that's the key. And we'll never find meaning in our lives until we start to find that experience in our hearts of increasing peace and freedom. And that is entirely possible. That is 100% entirely possible to find increasing peace, happiness and freedom year on year within yourself through a process of conscious training of the mind, training on, in, in the meditation and so forth. Entirely possible to find that. And then you notice that you have this new sense of a bigger sense of purpose and life. It's not just about me doing cooking because I enjoy it. It's about me doing cooking because other people will enjoy it. Like I remember hearing this story of uh, this Tibetan Lama who was at this meditation center within our tradition in, in England. And he'd come to give some teachings. And he was a very kind of, you know, deep and profound lama, had like incredible insight and so forth. Anyway, so they brought him the food for his, his afternoon meal or whatever it was. And uh, he, he sent it back. He said, this dinner was made with an angry mind. I don't want it. <laughs> I think that's the key. We need to understand it's not about cooking food that's important. It's about the mind you make it with. If you make it with love and compassion, you'll always feel a sense of joy. You'll always feel a sense of meaning to that, a sense of purpose. I want to give some happiness to others. Uh, or if you feel like you have to move on in a relationship, maybe the relationship isn't really working. Before we move on from the relationship, we should move back into our heart and think, why has the love died in this relationship? Because it's died in my heart. Can I reignite that love? Can I stop fixating on their faults all the time and actually let go of that a little bit and actually maybe see their kindness and good qualities? Mm. Love doesn't die in relationships, it just dies in hearts. And the great thing is we have a potential, an indestructible potential for love all the time and we can reignite that love in our hearts and in our relationships very quickly if we just take some conscious effort to turn in and think how much time are spoke uh, spending fixating on this person's faults? And if you think you're not, and you're about to leave the relationship, you're kidding yourself. You're leaving the relationship because at some level you have an aversion to that person, or maybe not even a strong aversion, you just feel it's dead. Mm -hmm. So, but what we want to do is before we walk away from the relationship, turn into your heart and think, can I, you know, start to let go of that fault finding, see their good qualities, their kindness that I saw quite easily when we first got together. Can I reignite that? Because it's always there if you look. Mm. People say, but I can't see it in them. They've got so many faults. You can't mm. see it in them because you're fixating on their faults. What mm. if you weren't fixating on their faults and you cleared that real estate in your mind and actually started to see some kindness and good qualities? You'd notice the love would start to manifest within your heart again. You'd start to feel a warmth and a closeness to them. And you'd have no reason to walk away from them. Yeah. I, 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 
I'd love to see someone um, return a plate of food in a restaurant and just say, no, thank you. When the waiter comes over and says, what's the matter? So I say, it's come from an angry mind. Just, just You'd watch the chef storm out of the kitchen with a knife to your throat and say, eat it. Gordon Ramsay but... wouldn't have even had a career. <laughs> exactly, exactly. But no, I do think, I don't know, I, it, maybe this is just me, but I do feel like, especially at our age, but maybe even other you know, older generations, but I just feel like it's one of if not the biggest fear that maybe some people don't even recognize is a fear. But like when I think about it, 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 like if I think dwell on it too much about meaning and where's my life going and am I like, when it all comes to an end, like what will I've not achieved? Cause I'm not too bothered about it in that sense. You know, I don't want to be some famous person, which everyone talks about, but will I've made a difference on some level or have I just been like a number? If I think about it for a long time, it can like get me teary, but not in an upset way, like, like out of fear. Like crying almost like a child, like a real like monster under the bed type fear, you know, and it's that one where, and like I said, it kind of comes and then it goes and then it comes, but it's always like they're lurking. Like if I say there's like a dark, a dull moment or something, I'm a bit down or something's not gone right for a couple of weeks, whatever. That fear of like, oh, what are you doing with your life? Like yada, yada, yada. Like all of a sudden it would like come back, even though I thought like I'd kind of banished it and I thought I'd kind of moved on or whatever. And um, yeah, and I think what you said, like the, with the lockdown, I think because we've had this moment to reflect, like almost enforced kind of prison imprisonment where we've just been like sat in our own cells just wondering about what life is all about and it does make you question when like you said do you ever pause i think to some extent maybe lockdown has forced us to pause a little bit um and then you kind of question what you were doing when you're full steam ahead constantly for the last however many years but it's important as well and it's a good point sir but it's important as well when you do pause and you reflect you reflect on your life from the right place in your heart. So when we pause normally, it's like slamming on the brakes to a locomotive train, and yeah. it just shudders. <laughs> We're like, whoa, train smash. Yeah. Uh, when I look at my mind, but you know, say for example, in the in the Buddhist meditation tradition, what you do is when you're engaged in any reflection or contemplation on your life, your first job is to sit, pause. <laughs> And then settle the mind, just like focusing on the breath instead of your thoughts, your distractions, your busyness, your regrets, your sense of a meaningless life. Instead of focusing on all of that, you focus on the breath till you start to feel the mind settle and some peace begins to rise in your heart. And then from that peaceful vantage point, you start to reflect on your life. Mm -hmm. Because now there's the opportunity to not get caught up in all those thoughts, feelings, emotions we were talking about earlier, feeling identified with them, feeling my life is meaningless, this is who I am inherently, I'm never going to be able to change. Instead of being in that space in your heart, you relax, you connect to some peace, and then you think, okay, what is it I really want? And then we go through that journey we looked at earlier on, yeah. and you start to come to that conclusion, and you start to realize the fear that I have that my life is meaningless is because I'm investing the meaning of my life in things outside of myself. Even as you say, Seb, it might not be that people are not necessarily wanting to be the next I don't know, the next whatever pop star, athlete, or, you know, super wealthy entrepreneur or business person. Maybe they don't want that. But they're still investing the meaning of their life in things outside of themselves. And that's why there's fear, because you cannot control those. Mm. We can't control how people perceive us. If we want to leave, you know, we often see this in, you know, self-help books, well-intentioned people saying, I want to leave a legacy. But you can't control that legacy. 
And so if you want to leave a legacy and you're very attached to wanting to leave a legacy and all of a sudden something happens in your life and everybody has a bad view of you, what happens to that legacy and more, ha more importantly, what happens to the meaning in your life, the meaning of your life to leave this legacy? So real fearlessness is found when you find that place within yourself that's giving your life meaning and purpose that has nothing to do with anything outside of yourself, has nothing to do with possessions, it has nothing to do with people's opinions, it has nothing to do with wealth, it has nothing to do with reputation, it has nothing to do with praise, and it has everything to do with the experience you're experiencing in your heart of a growing sense of meaning and purpose to my day. Meaning, mm. I'm finding a deeper peace and happiness and freedom from living with more love, compassion and wisdom. And my life is an expression of that. My life just simply flows from that. You know, that's where we want to get to eventually. And then, yeah, it doesn't make a difference what anybody thinks about you as long as you know how you feel in your heart. You'll mm -hmm. never feel any fear that your life is meaningless. You'll just feel that life is meaningful for me because I'm actually accomplishing, you know what I said earlier on, what I want to accomplish, which is a deepening peace, happiness and freedom for myself. And in some way, I'm contributing to that also for others. Not some like grandiose plan, like I'm going to transform the whole world, although that would be lovely. Just know there's people in my life, my family, mm. my friends, my mum, my dad, and I'm, my presence in their life with more love, compassion, and wisdom is helping them in some way. And that can then have a ripple effect to other people. And then all, all of a sudden you start to see your life is becoming successful externally. Because, you know, true success is the one you feel in your heart and it often manifests externally as people wanting to work with you, support you in what you're trying to do because you're doing something beyond the normal self-centered limitations. Mm. And you're trying to do something, a bigger vision of what can be done. And you start to notice people want to help more, you know. Mm. Or not. And that's okay too, because you're not getting any sense of meaning out of whether people help you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, one to reflect on for sure. Yeah. Even one example that comes to mind, Adam, uh, I, I started this internship re uh, recently and I'd be lying if I told you that thoughts in my head didn't go, oh, well, James, like, shouldn't you be doing something else? Shouldn't you have more responsibility? You're this age and you've done this much. Why don't you do this? And, da -da 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 -da. and it goes on and on and on. And I just had to watch myself and just go, what is, what is the most important thing? Is that every day I tried my best to help myself and help other people. And I ended. I was working in an office with with the woman with the woman that I was just introduced to, and we really connected. And she shared some stuff to me, and I, and we had a great connection. And then at the end of the day, she was like, "Oh, you made my day." And it's funny because, you know, in the world we live in, making someone's day isn't isn't like uh, aspirational, but or maybe only in a certain context. Only when you've also. It's, it's okay only if you've also uh, ticked other boxes but ultimately if we're being honest like if we can be at peace with ourselves and if we can provide peace for others or like make others feel happy surely surely it's never going to get any better you can you can put other environments in it and you can put other metrics in it and uh, I'm on this level and I have this much money and I have this job and I have this car and I have this. Uh, but really, aren't we just trying to, like you said, give ourselves peace and maybe give somebody else peace? And, and, and it sounds so simple, 
but it made the world a difference because that 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 that's been popping in my head like this week like oh jesus should i not be doing this sure i can do something more or whatever but ultimately you just want to feel useful and you just want to have a peaceful calm mind and if you and you notice that once you have a peaceful calm mind you're more inclined to help people anyway <laughs> you're more inclined to be kind and compassionate anyway well that's it and i th- i think it's like here's the key we got to as a society, as a world, we've got to step beyond the um, grasping at philosophies, theories, dogmas, and so forth. We've actually got to go direct to our experience because life's too short to spend your time philosophizing on what might be, what should be, what could be. It's great, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that exploration, it's wonderful. But at the end of the day, we have to really begin to, I would say, (laughs) at least I'd suggest, we have to start to really look at our own direct experience because life is too short to spend your life running on the back of some kind of idea of what meaning should be for me and instead discover yourself like you're saying Jim when you're living with love and compassion and wisdom do you feel more at peace with yourself do you feel more at peace with others and if you feel both of those things you will naturally feel happy you'll start to realize that actually is where happiness really has always come from Real happiness is just the happiness that's experienced by a peaceful mind. A mind that's really deeply at peace, content, naturally happy. And that comes from that journey that you're talking about. Just learning to live a bit more like that. The only people who disagree with that idea are people who are not at peace and unhappy. That's the only people who disagree with that. And if you look at, say, somebody who's like so externally focused... That's where they're absolutely convinced meaning and purpose comes from, wealth and you know, possessions and position and what people think of me. If you look at those people and look at them with compassion, you'll realize that actually they're the most traumatized people in the world. They're the ones who are suffering the most from that exclusive external focus, so much so that they actually feel completely neurotic most of the time, worry they're going to lose their wealth. If they lose their wealth, they lose their meaning, purpose, peace and joy. They never really had much peace and joy with all that wealth because of all of the complications of having lots of wealth. I'm not saying that if you have peace and happiness within yourself, you couldn't have wealth. Of course you could, but your peace and happiness is not coming from your wealth. It's coming from your love, compassion and wisdom. And quite likely your wealth is coming from that as well because you're able to work with more people in a more sustainable, harmonious way. So I think that's the key, like you're saying, Jim, is is we need to... We do need to look. I would say... In, like, in the way you're saying, I think we need to start to look inside ourselves and think, ask those questions, because otherwise this life's just going to rattle by, and we get to the end of it, think, what was the point in all of that? How many times have you met an elderly relative, you know, close to dying, and asking that question, what was the point in all of that? What did they do all of that for? Having kids doesn't give you meaning. Loving the kids you have gives you meaning, though. <laughs> There's so many people have big families and they're a real dysfunctional mess. And there's so many people that just have one kid but they have a loving heart and compassion for that child and they feel so much peace, so much joy. There's some people who have no kids but they have love for everyone they meet and they don't need the kids because they feel a sense of meaning and purpose coming from their love for people. So I don't mean that we shouldn't. We definitely, you know, if that's, if that's our impulse to want to have a family and so forth, what will bring the sense of meaning and purpose to that family life is the love and compassion you have for your family not having a family 
Mm. Having a family doesn't give you a sense of meaning and purpose. It can often give you a big headache and a very short life. Mm. You're stressed out all the time and your, fa- your kids aren't doing what you want them to do and achieving what you want them to achieve because in some way that makes me feel better about myself. That's not love. Adam, I wanted to ask about advice. Advice in the sense that I hate advice. I don't think it works as when people say, "Hey, you sh- you sh- I seen you do." <laughs> no, because I I think anyone anyone who's listened to what you're saying maybe press play with the intention of being open to something, right? And so, only if you're open to something, willing to adapt your behavior or your stance or your outlook, then it's useful, right? But I wondered. Uh, I guess it's like a two-part question. <laughs> which we haven't done in a while, Seb, but we're partial to, is the, the idea that, one, if you see loved ones that you care about and perhaps you feel that you have some love and some peace in your life, not always, but you have some and you see some loved ones and friends that are struggling with that, I guess where's the line between you saying, hey, this is another thing I can't control. If they want to ask me, hey, James, like whatever, uh, then I give my two cents and maybe it will work and maybe it will help them but where's the, i guess that that's one thing that i've been struggling with like i see loved ones i see my friends and i mean it's also like stuff with me it's also stuff reminders that oh yeah i need to i need to check this and i need to stop judging people and i need to but i guess i wanted like is there a buddhist perspective on this on because another uh I recently spent uh, two weeks at a, uh, an ashram in Italy and one of the best takeaways I got was one of the monks said uh, living by example is more powerful than a thousand lectures <laughs> and, and, and I guess it would be nice to hear your take on like a bit of expansion on this like you have people in your life that you care for and that you have a direct experience that hey this this helped me again it might not help you but I have a feeling it might, but I guess where's that line? That, and I, I'm sure lots of listeners. Uh, I think everyone thinks that they have great advice, and and but yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love your take on this. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the, the starting point is that a lot of the advice we give, um, you know, to friends and family and loved ones, I think it's coming from a good place. So the initial kind of start of that journey is a good place where you think, like, I can see they're struggling with this and, uh, you know, I've had that experience myself and maybe this will be helpful. But I, I think there's there's another element to it where we get too attached to the advice that we're giving and the outcome we expect from the advice that we're giving, which is inevitably caused our frustration and their their kind of feeling of being judged when they don't take the advice we give them over and over and over again so there has to be like again this kind of pause (laughs) sorry i keep coming back to the same thing when we're with others um i'm personally not a big fan of giving advice ever unless you get me on a podcast with jim and seb (laughs) or others Uh, I, i think like that maybe the most powerful thing we can do for another person um is to just sit there with them with a genuine love and compassion for them 
you know, not like sit there and just pretend you're, you know, you're being compassionate and listening and showing all the right faces, but actually in your heart feel some love and compassion connection with that person. Because I can't remember who said it, but it was something, I'm paraphrasing, something like, you know, Jim, you'll probably know this one, but it's uh, something like, um, people won't remember what you said, but they'll remember how you made them feel. And and that's the, my was sorry. Anyway, I'm getting old. Um, so so that that always resonated with me. That my Angelo statement. It's it's like it is true though, because we often can go into hyper advice giving mode as soon as someone shares a problem, um, and often that's coming from this kind of limited self again where we feel like in some way we're pacified by being this superiorly wise person in this situation i'm going to give you my wisdom even though we're struggling with everything else but this makes us feel better about ourselves so we have to let go of that aspect of it and then just be with people with love and compassion and actually really say nothing just sit and genuinely feel it you don't even have to show any face you just have to genuinely feel it when the person's talking to you because they will feel that a lot more than anything you say. I've had conversations, well, so-called conversations with people in the past where I've just sat and said nothing and let them talk it out. And then at the end they say, oh, thanks, that was really helpful. I thought I haven't <laughs> actually said anything. And, uh, and I, I've always found that to be like a really helpful um, way of, um, you know, being with somebody who's like really struggling with things. Because actually what they really want more than anything is not your advice. Because nine times out of ten, actually probably more, they won't take your advice. But what they're really looking for and what everybody's looking for is just to be heard. Like somebody to genuinely care and hear. And in that, hear, in that where somebody's present in a conversation and is genuinely listening to them, there is a dissolution of that pain for them. There is some peace that comes from that. So that's one way is that when we're with others, you know, ease up on the advice and just like be there for them instead of thinking what I'm going to say just think how I'm going to be in this conversation and just be there for them with some love and compassion and from that just see if something arises from that don't don't follow this conscious train of thought as they're think, saying something you're just line it up here's my advice this is what I did instead of that just sit there silently let their suffering touch your heart let their problem touch your heart and if something comes out let it come out if, and if it's coming from that love and compassion and wisdom and say it but then I think the key is is to then let go of expectations of any outcome because we're just waiting aren't we we've invested all this time all five minutes of it <laughs> listening to them giving them our perfect advice and the next time they come back we're like straight away waiting to see if they took our advice and of course they don't even remember your advice usually uh, and you say like you're like spending the whole week thinking I wonder if they sorted that problem texting them you know let's catch up you catch up and they say you remember that problem last week is it sorted now like, what problem mm. I didn't have a problem did I and you're like playing it in your mind and they resolved it like maybe themselves without, without our wonderful advice and so and another aspect of it is as well as to always like this this is how we can have those conversations where nobody ever changes on the basis of our wonderful advice <laughs> one 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 way we can deal with that is like when that person walks out the room just let the conversation go because in reality the next time you meet that person in reality they're a brand new person 
if we understand the law of impermanence, that everything is impermanent, everything is changing moment by moment, nothing's ever fixed, we think when the person comes back into the room the next time to have that same conversation, it's the same person. It's not. That's a totally different person. It's a totally different person. You're a different person. It's a different conversation. If we understand impermanence, and Buddha taught this quite, you know, to understand it at a very subtle level, which is like the law of subtle impermanence, that everything's brand new in every moment. Because if everything wasn't brand new in every moment, you know, let's say, if we, in the way that we see things, and, you know, we think everything's brand new, or everything's fixed, and so forth, if everything really was, I'd still be sitting here with a bottle in my hand, and I don't have a bottle in my hand. Hence, I'm not, br I'm not the same person as I was a moment ago, because, as you know, I was holding a bottle in my hand for the listeners. And that's the thing, we think there's this fixed self, fixed others, fixed world. It's not true. The world is changing, we're changing moment by moment by moment, but we grasp at the person from last week, we grasp at the conversation, we grasp at our advice, and therefore when the new conversation happens, we're not fresh and open to giving new advice to this new person based on our new understanding of their situation. So when a person walks out of a conversation with you, remind yourself, the next time I see that person, it's a brand new person with a brand new life, brand new problems, brand new joys, and I'm a brand new person, so you keep it fresh. Because a lot of people give up on other people just because they get attached to, I gave them that advice last week or last year, <laughs> I've been giving that advice for 10 years and they're still not listening to me. Stop giving them advice first, listen to them. And secondly, remind yourself, when you walk out of that room with that person, it's a brand new day, it's a brand new person, so you can keep it fresh every time. And then we're, we're letting go of the attachment to outcomes because our only wish is that, in some way, anything we said may have had some beneficial impact on them or not. And if it's not, that's okay too. You know, I was wondering... When you say that, you know, we're talking about advice, it kind of feels that everyone, even if they come and actually ask you for advice, like if they specifically say, hey, Seb, I wanted to hear your opinion on this problem I'm having, it feels like regardless of what, and your, your advice could be the most what the most wise things anyone's ever said, but it feels like eventually and ultimately they will always do what was kind of preordained and what they kind of had set out to do. And I wonder, I kind of wonder why that is because I've done that as well, and my friends have done that when I've given them advice and vice versa. And I think I wonder if it's because the best way that we truly learn is from experience. And so, whilst for example, you know, like I said, I'm trying to this whole meaning of life thing, so I can read a million books. And they can all give me their answer in written form. But until like, I actually physically experience whatever that change, that necessary change is, I'll never actually be able to properly answer. And it kind of reminds me of when you're like a kid and maybe you're like, I don't know, you're at the stove cooking with your mum and your mum says, don't touch that, it's hot. And you know it's hot, but like until you touch it, you don't know how much it hurts and you won't learn not to touch it again, despite the fact that your mum has told you that you will burn yourself if you touch that. And I think that like, we all kind of have that kind of innate kid within us where it's like, I probably know that what, you know, Adam's saying is re is correct and I shouldn't, you know, judge people or I shouldn't do this, I shouldn't do that. But until like, I experience it for myself, I can't actually learn that skill or that new thing that I need to know. And that's why it appears as if we kind of haven't, we haven't given two hoots to the advice that we've asked for. But it's because realistically, even if I did listen to that advice, I wouldn't learn. I'd only ever learn it on like a superficial level, rather than really kind of learning what it is that I needed to do in that experience. Yeah, I think it's absolutely it, Seb. I don't think anyone 
our advice generally for, for someone to like to really take the advice even if it was the wisest advice we could possibly give to take it to heart like fully so that it transforms their life there has to be a deep deep wish mm. a deep commitment to that change <laughs> yeah. and a lot of patience with making that change happen as you say Seb it doesn't make any sense to them at all until they experience it in their heart as a change that's going on in their mind and so our expectation that somebody's going to take our advice that we gave them last week as we were rushing through our list of good advices and that they're then going to transform by next week is totally unrealistic mm -hmm. so we have to have that kind of acceptance that um you know we're not trying to change the world and others we're just trying to be there to give others the opportunity to change that's the key you know you're, you're just there as a as a kind of sounding board or uh, some kind of uh, catalyst in that that process for them but you may not be but it's very important to understand that you know it's some advice a friend of mine gave me years ago is like you know, we're talking about this bodhisattva ideal, someone, you know, we've talked about before as a friend of the world, someone who has a deep compassion and love for others and wishes to help others in their life and in their world and ultimately help them in the best possible way. But that person, that bodhisattva, she said to me, is not trying to change the world. They're just trying to give the world the opportunity to change. But whether they change or not is their choice, mm -hmm. their freedom to choose either way. But we grasp that feeling that if you don't change that in some way reflects on me or mm. has something to do with me that's a self-centered mind my advice is given from this self-centered space and therefore it just creates friction with me and them whereas if we give it from love and compassion we just let it go once we've given it if it helps at some point this life or next life from a buddhist point of view we don't mind mm. whatever works for them mm. um this friend i used to work with in when I used to work in corporate world a long, long time ago. Uh, <laughs> he, he was this amazing character. He was just very normal, very ordinary in many different ways. But we used to work together. You know, we traveled the world together on these various corporate projects we were on. And um, he had this amazing ability to just be relaxed about everything we were doing. Like if, there, if something went really badly wrong in a country we knew nothing about and we were on this project, he'd be just super relaxed. And... I always used to say to him, Terry, what is it that you're doing to be able to do that consistently? He said, Adam, it's as simple as this. I care, but I don't mind. I care about people. I care about this project. I genuinely do care, and I care that it works out. But I really don't mind if it doesn't. Because <laughs> life doesn't work that way, does it? <laughs> it doesn't always work mm. out. And so he had this ability to not disengage his compassion or as a... His, uh, his, his responsibility to the project and people. So he stuck in that place, but at the same point, he didn't mind if it all went completely yeah. up in the air. Yeah, he didn't take offense to it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's, an, it's an odd one because I think, especially Jim and I have our conversations and kind of Jim maybe alluded to it there, but I think there's a certain tension or friction between maybe our generation and our parents' generation, especially when it comes to giving advice in terms of, um in terms of in the, in the professional arena because it feels like the worlds that we live in are so different to the worlds that our parents kind of lived in when they were first looking for jobs and you know so like, like Jim said you know he's 
you know, in his late 20s or whatever, and he's an intern. And so to, to our parents' generation, that can feel like, what are you playing at? Like, what are you doing? Like, you should, Christ, you should probably have already bought a house by now type thing. And so then, and then when, like, Jim's, you know, spending two weeks in Italy with with, with trying to understand Buddhism at a, more, at a deeper level, and then he's moving to Belfast and this, that, and the other, maybe to them it feels like, Almost, but they probably don't realise it. But almost like a throwing it in their face of, oh, well, I I never did that when I was young. But um, I think maybe it's because they didn't have the opportunity. I think we our generation has a certain freedom, and we kind of understand that the days of working fifty years in a company and getting a gold watch are no longer there anymore for us, even if we wanted it. So we kind of have to be flexible, and we are more likely to move around. And that does mean sometimes in the game of snakes and ladders, you might hit a snake, and you know go below the station that you're supposed to be at at your late 20s or your early 30s or whatever and I find that that's where a lot of arguments and stuff happen between our two generations when it comes to advice is where they're trying to I guess give their advice based on their own experiences at our age back when and then they give it to us and we're like yeah cool nice one and then we we go off and you know we do what we're going to do anyway and they're like oh this this bloke, my son doesn't listen to me or my nephew doesn't listen to me. They haven't got a clue. I'm just trying to help them. They don't understand. You know, I've been in the, like you said, the corporate world for 50 years and this, that and the other. And it's like, yeah, but there's been a shift there. And I think they sometimes find it almost like, I don't know, like you said, a reflection of themselves, but a poor one. And then that's where sometimes arguments or misunderstandings or tensions can rise. Yeah, I mean, it's like there's always going to be that intergenerational rub you know Mm. i think in every generation in your parent generation it was that intergenerational rub um but again at the end of the day it it comes down to having the humility to be open to another person's view even if we don't ultimately agree with that view so keeping an open mind and there may be something they say in that conversation that actually for you touches your heart makes sense and actually may you may be able to integrate into some aspect but it's important that we're true to how we feel we want to move forward with our life and not just kind of uh being influenced by everybody's view just because we're you know attached to being liked or something and we want people Mm. to respect us because that ultimately will just end up as suffering for us and problems with them but rather just keeping that humility like a real kind of central theme within the tradition that I, you know, practice within with Kadampa Buddhist tradition is this kind of understanding of humility that, you know, you can't really grow and evolve if you're not opening, if you're not open to listening and you can't really hear if you have this strong pride in who you are and what you know and, you know, I know better than everyone else. And so that humility enables you to grow spiritually, enables you to grow in your life. And so no matter who's giving you the advice, it's always being open to there may be some wisdom in that that I'm missing. So as long as we're open, people will feel that. Because mm. often it's this intergenerational rub is, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, that's yeah. great. I, I know that <laughs> yeah. the way it was for you, but, you know, that's yeah. fine. And we're trying to be polite, but we're not really open to just having a conversation and listening to people. We think yeah. if we have an open conversation, in some way that will threaten our sense of being if we took on our parents' viewpoint. But there might be just one aspect of that that really works for us. And that's great. And they feel like, you know, listen to as well. Sometimes when people are giving advice, a skill is to listen from a place of humility. 
that that makes them feel listened to. You know? So mm. sometimes it's good to do that the other way as well, instead of always giving advice. You know. Yeah. I think uh, this story I heard recently, like beautifully summarizes what Seb and you were talking about. And um, this guy I like, Charles Eisenstein, he talks a lot about ecology and the corporate greed and its effect on environmentalism and greenhouse gases and all this. And he said uh, one day someone came up to him and he's written books about this and had talks about it. And someone came up to him and he said, hey, Charles, I'm a big fan of your work. Uh, I've read these books and I, I know exactly what's going on uh, in, with the with the corporate uh companies and their relationship with greenhouse gases but i just got a i just finished my degree and i just got a job offer from i think it was like exxon mobile or something um and i know what exxon mobile are doing but i kind of want to take the job you know and he's like what you know what should i do charles and uh charles like takes a step back and he says i told him to go for the job because he needs to learn to trust himself, to trust his own experience and see where that leads him. Me, t- me, someone else telling you left or right or up or down, you know, what, what are we learning? We're not learning anything about ourselves and we're not learning anything about like, you know, like you said, being open, who knows what could happen. And like Seb said, experience, just that's how we learn. Yeah. Um, I I can't let you go, Adam, because over the last, say, year or so, I've definitely referenced, like, oh, I mean, if you're into this, uh, me and Seb have had a very, two very interesting chats with our good friend Adam about Buddhism, about these aspects. Um, but I can't help but tell you, and I think Seb would agree with me, that some people think that, you know, if you're a Buddhist or if you have a meditation practice, that everything is just easier for you. You know, like, oh, yeah, you're lucky you can meditate so you don't have to worry about this or like, oh, your mind's calm all the time. So you don't have to you don't have to the struggle that I have or this, you know, and uh, I thought just before I started the podcast, I thought it would be great (laughs) if Adam could also share with us some of his recent struggles to let like the listeners and other people know that also, even if you are a long term Buddhist and you have a strong meditation practice. That it's still difficult, <laughs> you know. There's still trials and tribulations, and um, yeah. So, uh, can you tell us some some difficulties you've had recently? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, recently I can tell you about fifty-two years of it, if you wish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, part of the reason anyone would uh, embark on this kind of way of life is because you've experienced suffering. And you've realized that until I do something, until I take responsibility for this experience myself, this is going to be my situation, you know. And so, you know, we all experience, and certainly I have experienced many ups and downs in life um, long before I met Buddhism and ever since I've met Buddhism. But, you know, if I was somebody who was sitting here and my life was just peaceful and calm and free of suffering all day, that's what you call a Buddha. I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> I'm training to, to become more free of those problems. So um, without being too over-indulgent or self-indulgent, it's, it's like there's, uh, there's never a day where 
there isn't some challenge to me um but there isn't some suffering to transcend and something to work with but i suppose for me the difference is to have something uh, a process like meditation and you know training in these methods in daily life that when you meet those difficulties and those sufferings that you can actually sit with it work through it transform it to some degree that doesn't mean you're free from suffering it just means to some degree you're finding some degree of freedom so whatever's happened like say this last year we've all you know found the challenge of lockdowns and so forth and you know I've been on this building project here uh, building this new center in Dublin as I was saying earlier and that's had its challenges you know working with a, a charity and you know the kind of challenges of that but I do know whatever the challenges are it doesn't really make a difference like say you know you have a bad day one day I remember my teacher Geshe Kelsing saying you know that it's okay to have a bad day when everything goes really wrong and your mind goes out of control that's fine as long as the next day you get up and you reset and you move forward so it, it's like it's fine like i've had many a days or like i'm sure you guys have over this year where i found it quite challenging but for me it's always fine because the next morning i can get up i can sit in meditation and process that stuff not carry it into the next day or the next week and to to have a place to go every morning where you literally bring the stuff up the challenges of the previous day look at it with some wisdom learn how to see through it let go of it and then move on that to me is the key suffering is inevitable you know like buddha said that suffering is just normal there is nothing unusual about suffering most suffering that we experience comes from the fact that we feel that suffering is unusual it's normal and the ability to say that to yourself and to know that in your heart that i will suffer today i will experience problems today but i have something that can help me work with those problems and work through them that's the key to a good life a happier a happier life but suffering is normal it's totally normal nothing unusual i could sit here if you like and give you 52 years of suffering but it's just the same <laughs> as everyone else we're all experiencing it all day every day and so this is just a path where we learn to at some at some level we become at, at peace with suffering we learn to be able to accept that suffering and in that acceptance there's a reduction of the experience of suffering and problems problems will never go away you will never experience a life free of problems but if you don't have such a problem with it in here in your heart in your mind it becomes less problematic over time but that doesn't mean that you're free of it so yeah i would say that we we spoke to we did a podcast with um Reverend Roger Quick and he was really um open and transparent about his relationship with his faith um and I just wondered so in those not in every single but are there times when in those hard moments or when you've had a hard week or hard day are there times when um the faith wavers somewhat or where you question the Buddhist practice and how it's serving you or is it all worth it or is it steadfast completely all the time no matter what comes your way <laughs> no this <laughs> is the former uh yeah. i think i mean there's there's like you know anyone who says to you that my faith is never rocked for one moment or never even slightly shaken is either incredibly advanced individual in which case i rejoice incredible person or else you know not being truthful to themselves never mind to you so i think 
when suffering hits you and when problems hit you and you find that you're not able to deal with it in the way that your pride maybe thought you could do prior to that, it obviously rocks your faith in your own capacity and potential, but also your faith in your path because you're thinking, is this working? Mm. Is this something I can really rely on my heart? However, I can say there's never been a period in my life where no matter how far I've gone out there that I haven't come back. I can say that. Mm. It's like, you know, um, it's, it's a little bit like being on a rubber band. You know, you can go far and far out like, and just feel like this. I, I don't, I'm not confident in my own potential to, to live this way. I'm not confident in this path at this moment in time because I'm experiencing such problems and suffering no matter how far you go out there, and I've had periods definitely where I've gone out there, there's always this returning because there's something deeper that, you know, I feel incredibly fortunate to have that something deeper within my heart um, mm. that I always seem to come back to eventually. It could be a day, a week, <laughs> uh, but it always seems to come back there. And then I find that peace again and I find that uh, faith and confidence again. But um, there's no one who who trains in a spiritual journey where it's smooth all the way, unless, as I say, you're a highly realized being who has this incredible uh, mind, which is possible, but I, I haven't got to that point in my life. I'm just a normal person trying to live with that way of loving kindness and compassion more. It doesn't always function well for me, um, perfectly, I mean. So from that point, yeah. But there's always, as I say, Seb, if, if we base this path, going back to the points we were talking about at the beginning, if we pace this journey of life, and for me that journey of life is in alignment with that Buddhist way of life or that Buddhist path, for me personally, but if we base our journey of life on experience mm. rather than theories and books and ideas, which are wonderful, but if it's only that and not experience, then ultimately when you're challenged, you, there is nowhere to come back to. They're just intellectual, conceptual ideas, and there's nothing in your heart to come back to. So we call that experience that I'm explaining refuge. In Buddhism, you call it refuge in the three jewels, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And it's not some kind of intellectual, conceptual idea of what a Buddhist is. It's an experience in your heart of that connection to Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha, which is really just a connection to that deeper wisdom and truth that we've been talking about today and that deeper connection with enlightenment in your heart. Now, if that is an experiential thing there's always somewhere to come back to if it's just an intellectual conceptual thing yeah when when things go wrong yeah you you feel deeply lost so that's what i'm saying is whatever way anybody takes something from this today it's like none of us are immune to suffering and we will experience suffering till the day we die it's just the reality of things however if we can find that ability to be at peace with and accept the reality and the inevitability that suffering and problems will come, we will start to reduce the experience of suffering and in time we can become more and more free. From a Buddhist point of view, freedom, complete freedom is possible. But at the point I'm at in my life and the most of the people that I know, it's a journey of just learning and as I say, as long as you know you can come back to some refuge and some peace and some stability in your own mind, it doesn't make a difference how far your mind goes out. You can always come back eventually, a day, a week, a month. You know, you can Perfect. always come back. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. I, th I think, Jim, unless there's something that we've missed, I think that's probably the perfect place to... Uh, 
to leave it really. Um, well, I'd like to again thank you for your time once again for being so generous um, and for for bearing for going through this again for the third time. Some might call you crazy, but um, we'll take it. Um, but yeah, thank you very much for coming on, Adam. It's been a real pleasure as always. No, thank you, guys. And as always, it's an absolute joy, and it's never a burden. So <laughs> thank you so much, and you're doing incredible with this podcast. I think you're phenomenal, the two of you. So it's been it's always a joy to chat with you, and today was no less a joy. Thank you. Thank you very much. Hi, guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.